0: Dear brothers and sisters, what's your favorite sequel of all time? Most movies these days, right, have a sequel or they're part of a trilogy or something, but which sequel was your all-time favorite? Was it Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, Rocky II, The Godfather Part II, The Little Mermaid II, Return to the Sea? There's one sequel, that's, that's out now, and it's kind of getting some people riled up. One that you maybe have heard of, the Avengers Endgame. And I suppose it's not really a sequel so much as it is the end of a decathlon or whatever you want to call it, a, a series of movies that long. And by the way, thank you for coming into this auditorium for worship today. Uh, I know that Endgame is playing right next door to us and pretty much in every other auditorium here. You might be hearing some explosions or some Hulk smashes at some point. Don't be alarmed. R- with a name like Endgame, it sounds like that would be the last movie in the series. But make no mistake, it's, it's gonna be in, there's going to be another sequel. Marvel's making way too much money for them to quit now. But who knows? Maybe Endgame will be your new favorite sequel of all time it's up to you now when it comes to easter what would you say the sequel to easter is and what what would be your favorite sequel to easter is it jesus walking on that road to emmaus with the two disciples is it jesus ascending into heaven is the the sequel to the resurrection, Paul's mission journeys, as he goes and shares the news about his risen Savior all over the world. Maybe, Maybe the best sequel is that one that we got to read in our gospel reading today from John. The disciples are huddled together in fear that first Easter Sunday evening, not really sure what's going on. Did Jesus really rise? Where's his body? And then Jesus shows up, and he says, Peace be with you. And then a week later, he comes back. And he even assures Doubting Thomas that he really is risen from the dead. That's a good sequel. And maybe it's okay to say there's a lot of sequels to Easter. And take your pick. They're they're all great. But maybe the the sequel that best captures what's going on behind the scenes ever since Easter, that best sequel maybe is found right here in Romans chapter 6. And just maybe, Romans chapter six is going to become your favorite sequel to Easter. Last week we talked a lot about how Jesus' resurrection defeated death for us. This week we get to talk a little bit more about how Jesus' resurrection defeats sin for us. Easter changes the way you live your life because you are dead and buried to sin You are risen and living toward God. Dead and buried to sin, risen and living toward God. You get a new life. And really, in a way, your life is the sequel to Easter. And it's a good sequel. You're not going to want to miss this one. Before we launch into Romans chapter six, we should probably look at one passage from Romans chapter five, because it kind of starts the whole conversation rolling in in chapter six. Back in chapter five, Paul said, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And this statement brought up a logical question for the people of Rome and, and, and probably for us too. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? This sounds logical. I mean, if we sin, that means we get covered with grace, right? So, so if I want more grace, I should just be more sinful. I kind of like the sound of that. That sounds like a good idea. All right. And maybe we, we like asking this question so much because, I mean, sadly, we like sinning, don't we? We, we want an outlet for our sinning to be able to continue. We want an excuse so we can keep doing it uh, without any repercussions. And all this, it sounds like a pretty convenient setup, doesn't it? I mean, I might as well just jump right into sin. God's going to forgive me anyway. God likes to forgive. I like to sin. So we're all set here. Me and God, we're, we're both getting exactly what we want. this kind of attitude that that reveals the need for Easter in the first place. Sometimes we would rather follow our own sinful desires rather than follow the will of our our loving Savior who who died and rose for us. Maybe sometimes instead of saying thank you to Christ for his sacrifice, instead we'd, we'd rather just heap another pile of sins at his feet, saying, okay, Jesus, here you go. Do your thing. Wipe them away. I'll bring some more for you again tomorrow. That's a sad picture, isn't it? A sad picture of taking advantage of, of God's amazing love for us. A sad picture we find ourselves in the middle of sometimes. We cheapen the love of Jesus. But there's a sequel to this sad picture that sin paints over your life. The gospel is the sequel we need. The good news, the gospel of what Jesus has done for you, it's, it's not just an open invitation to immorality and sinning. The gospel, it's the gift of forgiveness. It's an open invitation to have a new life. And maybe those people who who would look at the gospel as just a free license to sin, they're missing the point, right? The gospel changes hearts. It changes lives. The gospel, it not only changes our guilty verdict to a not guilty verdict. The gospel also changes our hearts and our allegiances A believer gets new life, new priorities, new motivation to to live in God's ways. Once that gospel works its way into our heart, we have motivation to flee from sin, motivation to live an upright life. The gospel is the driving force behind the Christ-like life we now live. And love, not fear, is our motivating factor. Because Jesus first shared his love with us. So let's ask that question again. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Paul says this as strongly as he can. We died to sin. Usually death is something we we associate as as a bad thing. But when we're talking about sin being dead, well, this is a good kind of death. <clears throat> and Paul, he comes at this as a relationship that we have with sin. He, he makes it clear that this relationship we have with sin is severed, cut off. Because death is a total separation. And because we have a new life in, in Christ, this means instead of asking, shall we go on sinning? Instead, we say, Sin? You're dead to me. It's like waking up from a bad dream and having the relief of realizing that that none of it was true. None of it actually happened. We get to say, oh, yeah. Hey, sin has no power over me. That's right. I died to sin. What a relief. And Paul, he doesn't just tell us we died to sin. He, He actually tells us how we died to sin. The answer is Christ. And the answer is also baptism. See, when we died to Christ, there's this beautiful melding together of God's saving work for us and the waters of our own baptism. We are baptized into Christ. We live and have our being within the sphere of Christ, always surrounded by his forgiveness, his guidance, his protection, Christ became a part of you at your baptism and you became a part of Christ at your baptism. In Greek, within these 11 verses we're looking at, 10 times, there's a word, different words, that talk about our connection to Christ. 10 times, words like with, likewise, together with, in the same way as, you are intimately and intricately connected to Christ through baptism. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Baptized into Christ's death. This this is our connection to dying to sin. Jesus died for sin so that we could die to sin. And catch that? We were buried with him too. Burial like death, not a thing we like associating as a a good thing. But again, when it's talking about the burial of sin, this is exactly what we want. And isn't baptism so much better than just a symbol? Uh, Baptism is so much more beautiful than just just a sign of our dedication toward God. It's, It's his dedication to us. And after reading Romans chapter 6, maybe, maybe you'll sympathize with me and, and the pain that I feel sometimes when, when I hear baptism called just an external act of obedience or a, a dedication to God. Because baptism is so much more beautiful than that. Baptism is this, this intertwining of our story with Christ's story. The once for all fact of salvation history crosses paths with you at your baptism. Baptized into the very saving work of Christ Himself, His death, His burial, His resurrection, all that at baptism. And I guess this is why I'd almost rather throw a bigger celebration for my daughter Natalie's baptism day than her actual birthday. Because something so beautiful and comforting happened the day she was baptized March 31st I won't forget the date a new life in Christ through baptism what more could a parent ask for their child than that we have died with Christ to sin and that means we're also set free from sin we are no longer slaves to sin our our old self has been crucified on the cross with Christ Our old self, that word you see there, sometimes you might hear it described as our old man. And I can never hear that without thinking of of some old guy yelling and waving a cane at me when I think of the old man. Maybe that's weird. But maybe, maybe it's a good picture to have in your mind. Our sinful nature, it's just a crotchety old man yelling at us, harassing us, getting us to do things we don't want to do. Why listen to that old man? Ignore him and his crotchety cane waving. You're not serving that old man anymore. You're free. You get to serve the living God now. Sounds like a good trade-off to me. But maybe I should also maybe mention this, that even as a a believer who has been baptized and tied to Christ, even, even then, Still, sometimes we might go traipsing off after that old man. Sin is still around this side of heaven. We're going to have to deal with it. We, we are not free from sinning, but we are free from sin, if, if that makes any sense. Uh, now, as, as believers, when we do follow that old man in his ways, well, it's not because we had no other choice like before when we were slaves to him. Now, as believers, we are empowered to do battle with what once enslaved us. Take the fight to that old man. You're stronger than him because you have Christ going into the fight with you. Christ has to go into the fight with you. Remember? He's tied to you. He's connected to you. He's got to go with. Jesus, he already put that crotchety old man to death on the cross. The old man... Just doesn't know it yet. And I think, I think at this point Paul's made it pretty clear. We have died and been buried to sin. But Romans chapter 6, it's, it's about, it's not just about uh, death and burial. Romans 6 is even more about rising and living to God. We get connected to the whole story of Christ, including the best part. His resurrection. And there's so many times, again and again, these verses that this is brought up. Just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We will certainly also be buried with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we died, or sorry, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Jesus rose. So will we. We look forward to that, that new life once we get to heaven, that perfect life forever there. But Paul makes it clear, this this living with Christ, this rising with him, it's also a here and now type of thing. Resurrection as it, as it pertains to a new birth is already a fact for you today. Rising with Christ, maybe it's kind of like that now and later candy not a great candy in my opinion but let's pretend it is right when you first bite into a noun later it's kind of got that that sweet hard candy taste that's good and then it becomes this this sugary goopy glob of sweetness later on too and that's probably even better resurrection is something that happens for you later But resurrection, rising to live with Christ, is also something you are experiencing right now. And no matter how you look at it, it's sweet. Like a noun later. Life is sweet. You're living with Christ. And you're going to live with Christ. It's awesome. And looking back at verse 4 here, Paul, he, he says this. We too may live a new life. That word for live there actually literally means to walk around. We walk around in new life. Living people walk. So we simply walk in and live in Christ. Your new life has already started. And it's only going to get better. Maybe my my favorite detail from this whole account here in Romans 6 is that Within the whole first 10 verses here, Paul never once gives you a command. No commands about how you should live your life. Paul simply rattles off the facts about what Jesus has already done for you, how he connects himself to you. And fun fact, if you're ever on Jeopardy here, throughout the whole first six chapters of Romans, not once up to this point, has Paul used an imperative. In other words, a verb of command, telling someone to do something. He's never once used a command yet. And now here, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, he gives his first imperative, his first command. He says, in the same way, count yourselves, imperative, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Finally here, Paul gives you a command. Count yourself in the way that God sees you—redeemed, restored, forgiven, dead to sin, alive to God. Okay, Paul, you got it. I can do that. Before ever telling you to do anything, Paul wants to let you know how much your Savior has done for you. In fact, He's done it all for you, and if. If you want motivation to live a holy life, listen to the gospel. And then listen to the gospel some more. By the end of these 11 verses, we have thoroughly answered that initial question. Shall we go on sinning? By no means. We died to sin. We are risen and living to God. We are in Christ. A believer being in Christ, it's like a fish being in water. It's where we belong. We belong in the ocean of God's love, forgiveness, peace, and holiness. I told you, you were going to like the sequel to Easter. So go enjoy your new life in Christ. Enjoy it today. Amen.